Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. When London floods, do you know what's the bit that's going to be above the water? Well, hopefully Penton Hill, where... Where we are, actually, we, which is one of, yes, yes. Yes, it's one of the highest bits of London. Local. No, Harrow on the Hill is the place. Well, again, there's a clue in the title. Yeah, quite. Yeah. You've been up there. So that's yes, I have. Heath and, uh, and... I think it probably is. It, if you go up via Harrow, near Harrow School, you occasionally get glimpses between the buildings where you get an absolute panorama of London below you, but you, you can't catch much of it. But, you know, it's The there. place would be on the top of the Shard... Yeah, the view. You've discovered the shard. Yeah, I've you? discovered the shard because. Tell us about the shard. Everyone's been talking about this building, um, which is going to be completed before the Olympics in 2012, and it's going to be the highest building in Europe. And I, I just didn't notice. I've just been looking out the way because we've got a 30 mile view, as, as listeners probably know, because I'm always going on about it, from the Word Office. We can see right out to Canary Wharf, right around to Chelsea Harbour, and all points I can see as far as Guildford. And I've suddenly noticed this building because it's appeared from behind a what we used to call skyscraper in the sixties, <laughs> and, and, and it's now come out from behind there, and I can now see it, and it's just growing by the day. It is massive, and it's going to be something like one and a half times the height of that West Tower. That's pretty amazing. But isn't it's it? pointy, isn't it? It's pointy, hence, it looks yes, like a shard. shard. Yeah. It's a shard. It's like they've got a pointy building in San Francisco, haven't they? I think, but they probably don't have a jokey name for it. We've been very duffed up in the international press. Apparently, when the British get a new building, they have to call it the Cheese Grater or the Gherkin. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently they just can't say it's the the Empire State Building (laughs) or the Chrysler Building. They've got to call it, you know, the the Carrot or the Stick of Celery or something something with the word Fountain or Canary in there. (laughs) Exactly. They probably think that's a joke. Yeah. They probably think that name was made up by scriptwriters. Oh, Canary Wolf. Yes, actually, it's not exactly like Monty Python. It's a nickname, Canary Wolf. That's brilliant. I think it's everyone does it though. I know the rugby stadium in Wellington, New Zealand, is referred to as the Cape Tin. Oh, is it right? Okay. Well, Americans are obviously slightly more well, respectful. The, of the Chinese call the Olympic Stadium the Bird's Nest. The Bird's Nest. The Bird's Nest. Exactly. It's Which, yes, to be fair, it did God's look like, well, like it was a designed nest. to look like a yeah, bird's nest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is this the word podcast? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, we are. We've started. Uh, I'm David Hepworth, and you're who? Fraser Lurie. And you're who? I'm Mark Ellen. They're right. We're fully gathered uh, to follow up um, issues of uh, burning imports. Burning issues. To the massive and beyond. Yes, yes. Big news this week. Uh, I suppose my question was, is it big news? The White Stripes... Knock on the head. They decide. I think they've had a sort of three. I think they've had a three or four year period of not really doing anything white stripes wise. Uh, but now they've officially confirmed that, that, that that's it for the moment. And Was I spe- anybody getting up in the morning going, oh, I hope the old white stripes are back together? <laughs> well, that was oh. my question. <laughs> that was my question. It's, it's as if the sort of the media is programmed to regard groups splitting up as being. Really dramatic news. And I just wonder whether it is anymore. 
whether anybody's well, the case that really out, bothered. I didn't know that. It can't possibly be. It can't be because Jack Stripe, Jack Stripe, Jack White, Jack done Stripes. nothing. But Jack Stripe has nothing that fill the uh, long gaps between White Stripe's records with huge numbers of projects, isn't he? I mean, indefatigable, tireless. The raconteurs, yeah, yeah. the dead weather is dead that weather? one? Yeah, exactly. It seems to pop up and everything. This new Rome project. Is Rome, doing. exactly. And uh, no, film with uh, Jimmy Page yeah. and um, and the Hedge. Is it not true that? Uh, Bands only break up on the way down unless they're interrupted by death. Well, that's an interesting theory. Go on, stand that Completely up for us. Completely correct, Fraser. Well, I think if There's you're no a band on the here. way up, you don't split up. It's as simple as that. Life is getting better, and so you stay as you are. Um, I totally agree with that. I'm now going to think, trying to see no, how to think surely, of an exception. People sh- leave occasionally when bands are on the way up, but they don't break up. The, the rest of them will keep together. No, they don't, they? they don't break up, but if... I suppose the Beatles being the best example. If the creative engine is working and appears to be dependent on the dynamic of the various core members, no, people will survive the most unbelievable amounts of personal misery uh, and discord in order to make the great records. Once they stop making the great records, or the public don't consider to be the great records anymore commercially, then I think it starts to fall apart. Because so, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I can only. Th- I was thinking of uh, you know. I mean, Nirvana, but they, they broke up because somebody died. Yeah. Joy Division broke up because somebody died. I mean, they could have made, I'm sure, a lot more interesting records. I mean, Fleetwood Mac as the blues band actually did go on for quite a long time, but they were absolutely. Well, on no, stuff. they had many, many different actually, phases. Somebody almost sort of died. They restarted Fleetwood Mac on. No, but the, three I mean, occasions. Of the, the great lineup with Peter Green, but actually Peter Green was invalided out. So it's exactly your point. And Jeremy Spencer had left around about the same yeah. time, hadn't they? No, yeah. slightly before. And then they sort of started again with, with a new front. Yeah. And that lasted for about ten years. Then they got rid of that new front and got another new front end. Yeah. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac, rare, rare example of a group who've managed to reform on the basis of, of the same rhythm section. Yeah, that's the all. The, all the people at the front wrote the songs and, and sang lead. Changed yeah. the bit at the back didn't. Yeah, extraordinary. But anyway, Probably go back. They to... owned the name Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. So going back to your point then about about bands not breaking up on the on, on the way up, only doing it on the way down. Does that suggest that when bands break up, what they're really doing is confessing there's nothing left in the tank? That they've that they've sat there and they go, there are no terrific songs. Or well, they, well, they can't bear the thought of being less popular than they once were. Oh, okay. I think it's my theory that the the the, um, the grief and misery outweighs the satisfaction, because the satisfaction, you know, and it's like you know, it's like McCartney and Lennon recording, um, uh, you know, the ballad of Johnny Yoko, you know, at the point where they absolutely detested each other the most. <laughs> he still rang up McCartney and said, "Would you come down to Abbey Road tomorrow at nine o'clock?" And for four hours, they recorded all the parts and record this song, having a go at you. Abby, I'm going to write a song released on the Apple label about how shit you are <laughs> and how terrific my new girlfriend. Yeah, is, can you come I at ten o'clock? Ten o'clock. Don't be late. No, no money in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, that's about for the Pixies. Maybe the Pixies. I'm trying to think of somebody. The Pixies. Pixies probably could have kept going a bit longer, couldn't they? Yeah, but they were they were on the way. But everyone thought. Oh, were they? The okay, okay, maybe, maybe. So the first thing we've got to dispose of is it's still, you know, up until John Lennon died, this still popped up as a story on the on the press every two years. Could the Beatles reform? And I used to sit there and think, please don't, didn't you, Mark? Yeah. I mean, nobody in their right mind would have wanted the Beatles to reform, would they? Uh, we had Big Star then and 10CC, all, all the new Beatles. <laughs> and the, the Arrows. Arrows. <laughs> yeah, it was a story that was closed, wasn't it? It was. You know, the, the, the kid simply couldn't be any better than it was. Why would anybody want to prolong those things? And I suppose this is the, this is the, the kernel of the argument, isn't it, about bands breaking up, that, that, uh, that fans in mourning this are sort of hoping that the world's going to stay as it is. And it's not, is it? Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's entirely self-interested, isn't it? Isn't it? People wanted to return to the place where they were happy because yeah. the group was the soundtrack <laughs> to their lives. Been, They'd like their happiness to be reinstated, please. The, by, the only example I can think of, actually, in recent memory, of people talking about unfinished business, and th- I'm thinking they had a genuine point, was Blind Faith, who made, a, actually, I don't think very good record, but they might have made some better records. Made, yeah, 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 sure. But they actually only made one record. It was all absolutely catastroph- catastrophic. And... Um, and when Clapton and Winwood got together, I think they're probably still together, and I think still playing the odd show, they described that as unfinished business. And I thought that was fair enough, actually, because obviously all those guys are just working out just combinations they can go out and still touring. 
that kind of generally gives themselves a lick of new pain. Uh, that seemed fair enough, because it only lasted a few months, didn't it? Less than a year. Now, I've got two candidates. I've racked my brains to mm-hmm. think of, of, of acts that I personally think shouldn't have broken up. One is Crowded House, because Crowded House broke up in order to let Neil Finn do his own thing. And then he slowly had to work his way back to reforming Crowded House, because... His own thing had slightly fizzled out. Well, he just he wasn't distinct enough. Yeah. And, you know, he was at his best within Crowded House. Yeah. And there was a huge public appetite for Crowded House, and so... You know, the, I know that the record companies were tearing their hair out because they wanted it to be Crowded House because they'd built it up to a point where they sold a lot of records and they were on the point of being, you know, a world act. You know, it they could have been absolutely... They could have been cold play big. But the point is it didn't sound sufficiently different from Crowded House. No. It? it was the bloke with the acoustic guitar, the same voice, same lyric writer. So it's not like David Albarn's projects... Which sound absolutely nothing no, no. like. Sure, sure. Like yeah. uh, the group that produced Park Life. But they're also on stage, you know, because of the dynamic between Neil Finn and uh, Nick Seymour and Paul Hester. They, they had something unique, which wasn't there anymore, you know, since it was one bloke on his own. And, uh, and now that, you know, they've had to do it however many years later, ten years later... And and somebody somewhere must be kicking themselves that they didn't keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. You know, through that time because they pretty much had to restart at a lower level than they do. Not as long as humble pie has been consumed. Do you think they've called for the dessert trolley and asked <laughs> if humble pie is possibly on the menu? I don't think. I don't think anybody would tell you that, but uh, I, I can't help but think that that's the case. So that's one act. No, that's a good example. Yeah. The other one, cool. who I was reminded of when reading Joe Boyd's book. What's Joe's book called? White Bicycles. White Bicycles. His memoirs of the, of the sixties. Joe Boyd, the great record producer. He talks about when he first came to Britain from the United States and he's in his 20s and he's a kind of talent scout, you know, he's trying to find people to sign to the Electra label and he's very excited to be in, be in Britain and, uh, you know, psychedelia is going off in the United States. It hasn't quite gone off in the same way here. And he's looking around for people to sign and the group that he cites as being the most exciting of all the people he saw at the time was the move you know, talking about the move here with Roy Wood and probably with, with Jeff Lynne just starting record. to come in there. Brilliant you know, record. You know, the, the roundabout Shazam message yeah. from the country. That time when you were getting this welding of the extraordinary pop sensibility of Roy Wood, you know, the man who'd written Fire Brigade and I Can Hear the Grass Grow and Blackberry Way and all these things, with Jeff Lynne, second genius. Magic combination. You Absolutely. Know, uh, and also a fantastic live act, you know, really kind of ballsy group from Birmingham who kind of, they dressed up in the sort of the same effete, you know, yeah. clothing as, as, as the bands from West London. Yeah. But rock these country. guys, they were a kind of, you know, they were a, they were a rock and roll band, uh, you know, that knew how to sort of handle itself in a club. And he felt that they could have been absolutely huge if they'd held together. But I don't think they were, uh, I don't think they're particularly well managed. I think Don Arn may have been involved at that point. I think, I think they're a pretty short term view on the part of the management. But Joe Boyd feels that Joe Boyd feels that if they if they'd uh, if they'd stuck together, they might have been, you know, I don't know, Good point. cream or whatever. Yeah, because those are incredible records. And yeah, not probably not as good as they ought to have been, really, because they never got they never got Beatles type treatment from a record company. You know, there, things tended to be done rather on the cheap. But that's a rare example of a group, I think, that could, that could have given it longer. Uh, most of the ones that people cite, and there's, you know, there's been a lot of a uh, lot of discussion. Simon and was it, go, was it going downhill when the... Um, There's a difference of duo rather than... I can't group, remember those both. It's not really a group, is it? Python I think Lee Jackson. I, I think... To, <laughs> Python Lee Jackson made one absolutely unbelievable... Well, who is Python Lee was, Jackson Well, they were Rod an Australian Stewart. rock band, weren't they? But I think oh, it's right. probably because Rod Stewart's In a Broken Dream is just a masterpiece. Absolute, enduring masterpiece. Well, of course, it was really discovered about five Round years. about the same time, the other group who never fulfilled their potential, which Rod Stewart was all, also in, was the Jeff Beck group. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The classic Jeff Beck group with Mickey Waller on the drums, Jeff Beck on guitar, Ron Wood on the bass, 
uh, Rod Stewart singing, and I think Nicky Hopkins yeah, a lot of the time. As well. There's another one. Very brief uh, uh, appearance. Wasn't it Steam Packet? That's That's uh, yeah, I don't really know the story of Steam Packet, but they probably weren't long together for very long. Very yeah. short time. Yeah. Great, real supergroup. Whereas I think, I think you know, a lot of people are you know, weighing on, uh, in on the website on the, on the subject of this. Um, you know, this is an interesting point made by... I can't read in here because it's dark, <laughs> Fraser, but I think it's Johan. Julian, Johan, whatever I'm reading. Cover. Talking about R.E.M., he says, and then, there, of course, there are bands who hang around for too long. He says, I wish R.E.M. had split about a decade ago, maybe after Reveal, which would have been going out on a high. It's a bit sad that their imminent album will probably be greeted by a collective shrug and even lower sales than the last couple. The, the drummer knew when to quit, didn't he? Or maybe the band dance are good because he has left, I don't know. That's true. He became a potato farmer, I think. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah. Is that what he does? Is this he all, a, uh, well, it was health, health, wasn't it? It's health. He had like a brain aneurysm or something. Yeah, he's a potato farmer. I think he's a farmer now, yeah. Probably enormously happy and content. I think so, yeah. 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 Wouldn't anything. But it's, it's extraordinary that R.E.M. have hung on so long. You know, that they, it now feels like the kind of afterlife of R.E.M., doesn't yeah. it? kind of twilight world of R.E.M. But they've stuck together, haven't they? And they've got this new record, which is coming out, you know, a couple of weeks' time. And I've heard it. And um, it's really interesting in that you sit and listen to it, like I've listened to the last few, and you go, do you know, this is just like their good albums. But not so good. It's not good. <laughs> you know, now, how does that work, Mark? You know, but they've got they? a ballad that sounds a bit like, you know, drive, they've got up-tempo, kind of, you know, air-punching stuff yeah. like they've done in the past. They've got sort of quirky stuff. They've got... But don't you but think a lot of that... just not as good. Right, but don't you think a lot of that is to do... Well, it's two things, right? One is your, your belief in their commitment to the songs, right? I, I loved R.E.M. as much as anybody, and I used to think that because they were young and because they seemed to be out there dealing with real experiences, which they broadcast in their songs, that they, that, that they sort of inhabited those songs. And those songs really were a soundtrack to this kind of southern concept of R.E.M., which is it's a very southern concept. It, it's a huge landscape of sound. I associated it with... Um, I can't remember where they're from now. Georgia? Is it Georgia? Athens. Yeah, Athens, Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia, Georgia right, yeah. And uh, so I suppose I thought that they were, you know, that they were a living entity radiating some kind of... Um, warmth and sensibility about a world that they inhabit. In a world, I have to say, that to, 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 to British people, seems really, really romantic. You know, that, that works in reverse as well. Americans look at, uh, uh, at British groups and English groups with great romance, and we go, they're from Reading. <laughs> <laughs> they're from Woking. Have you, know, have you ever been to Soot City? <laughs> God almighty. Don't get Paul Weller out of context, mate. You know. and, uh, but I th that's one thing. And the other thing is novelty. Is that they had a fantastic sound. I remember going Absolutely, to, yeah. uh, what was it called? Was it Later with Jules Holland? Whatever the program. Yeah, well, it must be Later with Jules Holland. Yeah. And, and they re recorded The Passenger. I, I went to the studio, watched them, and they were absolutely marvelous. This was quite late in the day, actually. And uh, they still had a novelty to their sound. I think it's mystery sheen. rather than novelty. And a mystery, yes, but there was a lovely sound of it, a sort of 12 string guitar sound and a, a particular bass sound and particular vocals like Mike Mills backing vocal, actually, very underrated. Uh, uh, but once you're used to that sound, they don't make a different sound. Now, there's a great Do they? I mean, they've got some mandolins on occasionally, but you know, they don't really make a different sound. There's a really good documentary called Athens, Georgia, Inside Out, which was filmed in the mid-'80s and... and uh, Focuses on a lot of our, of Athens bands, and there's a B-52s, and then REM, and then about 10 or 12, which never got anywhere. And there's a couple of great clips of REM playing live in a church, and it is completely mysterious and magical, and they don't sound like anyone else. And it's kind of revealing that. And nowadays, you know exactly what they sound like. There's no mystery to REM. You know what the new record will sound like. And however good it is, I think that it's less of an album because of that. Do you, you don't think there's also... Agreed. Uh, and I suppose this is a bit of an extension of Mark's point that, um, you know, like in the cliché, when the boy's breaking up with a girl, he always says, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> yeah. Meaning it's you. Well, <laughs> uh, I wonder if there's a bit of that going on in your relationship with, a, with an act like R.E.M. or anybody who's been around for ages, which is that there's a part of your head which has got a bit of a space for an R.E.M., but that part is occupied by, perfectly happily, automatic for the people, 
<laughs> don't go back for Rockville, losing my religion or whatever. You've got a really strong idea of REM in your head. Completely. You, you, I could, we could all now close our eyes, not say anything, and we can hear the sound of great REM records yeah. in our heads. They're in there. They've gone in there as a consequence of huge repetition over a long period of time. If anything else is going to go in there in that little place in our heads that's reserved for REM, it's got to displace one of those things, and it will never do that. Completely. And that, you know, the same thing applies to, you know, Bruce Springsteen or whatever. I suppose the rare exception... I can think of Bob Dylan songs made in the last ten years that might displace, you know, oh, they have like a Rolling Stone yeah. or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough call. You know, the, 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 to, to do stuff more? later in your career, which is as kind of blazing and gripping as is the stuff you did earlier. There's the one more factor, which is that, and this is going to sound like a really adolescent thing to say, but when you form those very close associations with groups, a lot of it's based on, as I said earlier, on, on the belief that they're on the inside of this machine and they're, and they're living this life and, they're, and it's, it's real and it's authentic. And when I was kind of... I remember being slightly heartbroken. I think I was the editor of Q magazine, so this is a long time ago, when REM came over to do some press. And we were told they were doing a press in Ireland. And I said, OK, fine. And, you know, Warner Brothers or whoever it was were going to take us over there. Fine. And then we discovered they were doing it in Ireland, in a castle, principally so they could play golf. And I felt a bit... It's just going to sound really... I felt disappointed. Mike Mills and a Bill, and apart, all of them apart from Michael Stipe. But then I was equally disappointed that Michael Stipe had kind of gone off to be this frightful kind of... really bad version of Freddie Mercury's social butterfly. A kind of vampiric figure. It's because he hung about with Patti Smith. He hung that's around where, with Patti Smith. That's, that's where it... Anybody who hangs around with Patti Smith Love. Just, And Courtney Love. That yes. ruined it. Yes. You're right, Dave. You're, you're great right. taste. <laughs> but to be fair, you know, I'm very fond of you. And if I found out that you've been hanging around with Courtney Love, <laughs> you know, I, I would actually have to reevaluate my first impression of it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it, was, it was... Anyway, that let me down. So it's very difficult to sustain... You know, the freshness in a relationship with an act that, that Very has hard. been going on for the Talking about Bill Berry go, uh, going off to be a potato farmer, there's a lovely thing in the new issue uh, it's coming out next week with B- 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 Bonnie Whaler leaving the Whalers. And Bonnie Whaler, I think probably gripped by his, 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 his fervour for Rastafari, feels that any more success than the success that they've gained it is no more success than he rightfully should earn. So he leaves to go and tend his crops. I love that idea that the rest of them are going off to stay in the, you know, in, 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 the, in the inn on the park, you know, and uh, rack up an enormous, uh, uh, you know, tab. And he's gone back to, to, to water his crops. Do you, do, you think, herbs, do you think Buddy might have a particular, particular interest in one crop? Do you think? Uh, oh, there's certainly it's one crop. It's monoculture. But that crop, I think, <laughs> yes, yes, I'm sure even backstage he's probably had a few uh, polytunnel set up. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to Bunny Weiler, uh, Fraser and I went to a preview of a film uh, last week, didn't we? we uh, did. uh, which Fire in Babylon. No, it's not. It's called Blood and Fire. Blood, blood. You see... <laughs> It's called Blood and Fire, isn't it? I think it's called Blood and Fire. Uh, And uh, you you would never know from that title or from the branding of it or the advertising or anything that this is actually a film, and a pretty good one, about the great West Indian cricket team of the late 70s and early 80s. You know, the great great fast bowlers and Malcolm Marshall and, you know, Viv Richards and Clive Lloyd were the captains and they terrorised, you know, the batsmen all over the world. And and it's about the kind of uh, you know the the, um, the relationship between the rising in cricket and the rising kind of West Indian pride and and it ties in music and so forth. And Bunny Whaler pops up to be interviewed about this, and he's uh, he's extraordinary looking, isn't he? He is extraordinary looking. What yeah. does he look like now? Well, he, he, he kind of he's wearing uh, what looks like. Uh, Something that's been taken from Kim Jong Il's wardrobe. Yeah, it's, it's a safari suit, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yes, and with a huge great hat yeah. to kind of secrete his locks under there. But he also looks terribly well turned now, doesn't he? Yes, he looks as if he's gone to you know Rasta's R Oz yes. style yeah. academy yeah. or whatever before he's uh, before he's interviewed back a yard, you know. And um, that's a lovely idea. He's got dressed up, but the man is surely, to some extent, still feeding chickens, isn't he? Like, does he feed chickens in a belted safari suit? But the, the, the best stuff is is where he stops talking about Malcolm Marshall and uh, and Curtly Ambrose and so forth, and because there's there's some kids making a ro- a row in the yeah. background, aren't they? And he suddenly lapses into absolute impenetrable patois. 
you know, basically saying, get the basically saying <laughs> the jar equivalent of, you know, I know where you live. Play around your own backyard yeah. sunshine, you know. And because and they leave the camera running while he's doing this. And it's, it's priceless yeah. comedy, isn't it? It's a, it's a pretty good film if you're, if you're into cricket. Um, now, I thought that yesterday I'd had a major epiphany with regard to Wichita Online Man uh, oh, by on. Jim Webb. Jimmy uh, Webb. Which we oh, all know. Yesterday. Which we all, yes, he's over here. We ought to check yeah. this with him. Um, which is, we all know, is the greatest song ever written, yeah. isn't it? Fact. Great song. I, I, Fact yes. Almost indisputable. Okay. Apart from possibly. Um, here we go. Yeah, This Charming Man by the Smiths. Oh. But anyway, we haven't got time to discuss that. Now. Possibly the greatest song ever written. But go on. Oh, it's gone quiet. But, uh, listeners. <laughs> The look of consternation and contempt that lit up the features of David Hepworth is absolutely astonishing. Photographable. Anyway, I was persuaded by... Actually, Ian Rankin was joining in this, this Twitter debate about the, the precise meaning of Wichita Lineman. And I said, I'd like an electrical engineer to explain to me exactly what a, what a Wichita Lineman is doing in the song. And uh, and somebody weighed in and said, "Oh, it's nothing to do with electrical engineering." American football. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Got that no- Wichita lineman. She doesn't know the offside rule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So related to Wichita tight end. Yeah. Another hits on the record. Um, he said, "No, it's to do with somebody clearing, uh, moving, overladen heavy goods vehicles." Off the highway, no. but, and and he, he you know he sold me a whole line. How would he explain the singing in the wires line? Well, uh, well, you can still look at the wires, can't you, while driving up and down? You yeah. can still hear the wires, you know. So I was persuaded of this Did for they a while. The brake man. Don't think well, of the well, brake man. No, 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 it's just a different thing. Go on. Uh, and anyway, so for about an hour, this is what I thought. I thought scales from eyes, a totally different song, you know. But it turns out he's wrong. Some guy's telling me a pop via Twitter, you know. So I've had two epiphanies yesterday. One to be persuaded that it was all about overladen lorries, and then one to go back to where we started. To go back to where we started. So, you know, here he is. I'm a lineman for the county, and I drive the main road. Road. uh, Searching in the sun for another overload. Okay, so what are we saying he's doing, Fraser? Is he looking at the overhead power lines, or is he looking at the overhead telephone lines? I don't don't know. I I saw Jimmy Webb play live a few years ago, and he told the story of the song, and he he, uh, described going on a car journey as a child and lying in the back seat and looking up at the... Telephone wires going either side of the car. Yes, which you can imagine. Yeah, you can see. That. Uh, but I, I think he kind of works for a from a script, and uh, will probably tell you <laughs> that it's about some kind of lines that he's seen. <laughs> you say he's, a truck, on he says he's a truck driver. No, well, I, th- I think where I where I a truck driver an overload would mean um, an illegal load, wouldn't it? Well, this, this is what like, my really? friend on Driving Twitter the back was, roads, was trying. So was, I trying get was trying to yes, yes, See, was trying to the, persuade the, me. Yes, was is it an overladen lorry? Yeah, but but that doesn't make any sense, you know. That because um, because if it snows that stretch down south won't ever stand the strain. He's referring to wires. though. He's got to be referring to wires. So right because because Willin points out the fact that the only way you can really make any money as a truck driver then in the 1970s was to drive on back roads with an overloaded truck so you wouldn't get weighed yeah, yeah, the, sure. because you couldn't make enough money in percentage wise by taking the legal yeah. the weight on I'm the back sure of the truck. I'm sure it still is the case yeah. probably yeah. But so you know we're still open to people this telling us but, God, we, but I was reading then I was trying to find out more about it and Glenn and, and, and um, Jimmy Webb was, uh, was talking about how he wrote it that uh, it's it is the great song ever written. Actually, you know, do you know uh, is it the great song? I just thought another. No, one. Okay, okay, well, you can come in with okay, that right, and say. Right, 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 yeah. Do you know it's how he wrote it? But, yes, so we're not having a debate. No, it's it's just you know, okay. come on. I've got a counter argument. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, the that he wrote it when the publisher rang up and said, "Glenn Campbell needs a follow-up to by the time I get to Phoenix. Needs it tomorrow." And he, had, he was having a, you know, he was living the high life in Hollywood, and he had thirty people in the house having a kind of permanent all-day party, and he just went and shut himself in a room, and sat there. He says, "I know follow-ups. I know how follow-ups work." And he sat there and he wrote 
Wichita lineman. Wow. Under that kind of pressure. It's extraordinary. You've thing. got to give him some points. It is. It's a fantastic song. Highwayman by Jimmy Webb. What, are you saying that's better? It's phenomenal. Mm. I, I, no, I only, I'm going to confess, I only heard anyone listening who hasn't heard Highwayman. There's a Glen Campbell version, several versions. There's also a new version by Arboretum, which is even yes, better yeah, yeah. than the Glen Campbell version. And I think it, I mean, I never really concentrated. It's, it's just amazing. You know, four verses about, it's going to sound pretentious, I'm going to say it anyway, reincarnation. Okay. And the first verse is about the 18th century, second verse is the 19th century, third verse is the 20th, and the fourth verse is the 21st century. And there's only one word in each verse which locates it in, well, two actually, because one's about a highwayman, it talks about baubles, and the next verse is about a sailor, and they use the word schooner, and the 20th century one is about a dam builder, it has the word concrete, which is brilliant, which clearly wouldn't have appeared in the other one. And the future verse is about a space, a space pilot. And it uses the, the expression starship. I've, I'll fly a starship across the universe divide. It is absolutely brilliant. And, and then it ends cyclically with the, with the starship pilot thinking he will come back. All of them die. All of them die to the, the, the highwayman. Of course they die. What sort of thing to say? The highwayman is killed. The bastards hung me in the spring of 45 or is, but I'm still alive. So the idea that they'll all come back as something. And the starship pilot thinks he'd come back as a highwayman. So it's a brilliant little cycle. Back and we first. thought... That is a total... Well, that's remarkable. ...card-carrying masterpiece. Well, I'm going to go and listen to it afterwards again. My God, it's... Good. We thought we'd said goodbye to that kind of thematic, you know, sophistication. <laughs> I was driving a car. Precision. I had to stop the car and we, listen to it again. We I thought, thought it had gone, and then Noel Gallagher came along. <laughs> <laughs> Don't spoil it. Don't puncture the balloon. The word... A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So we're back, and we're joined by Magic Alex Gold. Hello. Hello. Welcome, uh, Magic. Thank you. Uh, Alex, is a triumphant week we've had this week. Alex, all down to you, Alex. I'll stop it. Because uh, <laughs> what Alex does, uh, apart from putting together the CDs that appear on the cover of every issue of Word, he also organises our, uh, our string of word-in-your-ear gigs. Uh, which take place at the Lexington, the pub across the road, because it's nearby, isn't it? Uh, and this week we had Wilco Johnson. Who else did we have? At, uh, a Genuine Freak Show. And, uh, and Alice Walker. Right. From uh, Thaxted in Essex. <laughs> Describe the sound of those two support groups for those who may not be fully uh, up to speed with their oeuvre. Alice is a bit more like a... They're like a more jaunty Kate Nash with, with better lyrics. <laughs> uh, and, and some brass. It's uh, not hard to be jauntier than Kate Nash, is it? Well, she's quite jaunty on, on, on Nashy, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Genuine Freak Show. Good um, name, I'm saying. Very good name, yeah. It's a good name. I think Mark gave the best dis- description ever of Genuine Freak Show, actually. Was, um, wasn't it Pink uh, Floyd? And I was rather embarrassed by that, actually. Really? I read that out and uh, I didn't know not to, but I said it was, it was I, I think it was something like sheets of Pink Floyd and cigarettes fed through the radio head filter. That was it? <laughs> that's sad. Does I that mean you, that I'd written that. You make up quotes and then you read them as if it's... I, I, read, I read, it, read this in the I, Times. I introduced that's such a good idea. I did. I read, <laughs> I, I, I read that, actually, out. That's some how clown has written... I said, written. say his son. <laughs> I actually described it as pretend, some pretentious player who's interested. It was actually me. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was ashamed of it, but I, I thought it was worth saying because uh, it gave you a bit of a handle on them. Because actually, I thought it was kind of true when I watched and it. Was very it was like quite Floyd, I and they're very like Radiohead. And my God, they're like Singer Ross. So yes, tick tick. So there I was tick. up in my DJ booth, my eerie, my eagle's nest above the stage, mm. and I was watching the the proceedings mm. uh, unfold during the evening. And Alex has got the job that everybody would like, which is this, which is. When he's worked out that the band have been on long enough, he just goes to the front of the stage, he stands in front of the singer, and he yes. holds up one finger. He just says, sling your hook. <laughs> which, means, which means one to go. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I thought, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't life be great if you could do that, you know, with every gig you went to? Just went along. You've delighted us long enough... One tune to M- go. But maybe you should. Maybe you should be in on the podcast every time. Actually, we yeah, need someone like that. So, yeah. guys, this literally we've <laughs> heard this before. Now you did that with uh, with the, the two support groups. Yeah. You didn't do it with Will no, Coach. I did. 
did do. Uh, I did think he had frantic yeah. consultation with the manager. I didn't see him walk yeah. in front of Wilco and go. I, I think Wilco's eye would have been somewhat yeah. difficult to catch. What <laughs> impatiently. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was Wilco Johnson, uh, accompanied by, if that's an adequate term to describe, what Norman Watroyd provided on the bass, the man who used oh, to play bass, who still does play really bass, bass for the Blockheads. And I was even more amazed by Dylan Howe, the drummer, who compared to Wilco Johnson and Norman Watroy as a, a mere slip of a boy, slip isn't it? Boy. But he's probably in his forties. Terrific state of preservation. <laughs> and and yes, and uh, he's a fantastic drummer, perfect for uh, for the sound of Wilco Johnson. And of course, what I couldn't believe the day after is I looked up Dylan Howe, and he's currently. He's now on tour with his jazz quartet. Have you seen this? I haven't, no. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely... He, he tours with a, a proper jazz quartet, oh, well, just playing the most, you know... Just any drummer that good could just play any kind of music, can't they? I mean, that's... Well, know. that came as a bit of a surprise to me, because he sounded... He played the drums like somebody who just only ever played that kind of thing in yeah, his life. Yeah, no, no element of jazz. Well, well, there was, if there was, he would have been solo. killed twice by the other two well, members Well, except the, the solo was pretty, you know, the, 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 you know, Bill Bruford, or a member of the Grateful Dead, wouldn't have even recognised that as a solo, no, but no, I thought no, it was a fill. No, no, Kate Mosfler standing next to her said, jazz, and she went back, yes, jazz. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah, well, OK, but it was about 12 seconds long, wasn't yeah. it? it was I printed time. off this thing, I liked it so much. In the front row... Of the concert, uh, clearly identifiable in a lot of the pictures, it was the great Captain Underpants. Yes. Uh, Underpants, uh, to anybody listening who's not aware, I'm sure you are, is, is a very, very regular, very colourful, very entertaining poster upon our site. A key member of the Massive. And Underpants filed this poster. I thought, well, so I'm thinking of printing it actually in the magazine. He says, this is when the group comes, he says, when he launches Wilco, he says, when he launches a solo, his whole body spasms taut and he faints right before lurching off across the stage to his left. It's a huge jolt of energy for a teenager, let alone a gentleman in his 60s. As for Norman, there's something feral about him. This is Norman Watroy, the bass player of the, of the Blockheads and various other things. He said, it's like he's been let out of a cage for the show. Yeah, yeah. Which is true. He said he can navigate previously uncharted routes around a 12-bar pattern, sometimes wandering so far from both the root and the rhythm that you fear he'll never get back. But once or twice, with a snarl from those destroyed teeth, which Dylan Howe clearly recognises as a smile... He doesn't. Which is really, really, really good description, isn't it? They were fantastic. They were extraordinary. I, I saw Dr. Feelgood, I was working this out afterwards, in 1975 at what was then called the Holloway Poly, that is now the University of North London. Uh, and it was the Naughty Rhythms Tour, which means they were with... Kokomo and Chili Willy and the oh, Red yeah. Hot Peppers. But Dr. Feelgood had, had been a big hit, and so they were a headliner. And they were, they were great. They weren't as good as Wilco Johnson was the other night because the rhythm section of Dr. Feelgood were not as good as Wilco Johnson's rhythm section is. And so it was extraordinary. You know, this guy, is, what is he, 64, 65? Yeah, I thought he was absolutely remarkable. I just love the way that the freak show were... The seven piece and they had this amazing wall of sound and they're absolutely brilliant. They blew everybody's heads off and then Wilco came on with the three piece band was even louder and blew everybody else. And, and, and that was also very detailed yeah. as well. It was, it was very filled. It was. Yeah, there was yeah. so much going on. And uh, I couldn't see again from a vantage point. I couldn't see a set list anywhere on the stage. Which seemed to indicate that they only knew what to play when, he when Wilco playing started playing the intro. all the intros were exactly the same. <laughs> 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 Must be like being a member of the Ink Spots. You can do any tune you know, without, without intro. Same cause, maybe it didn't matter. He was fantastic. I, from Drakey Girl has tweeted this. She said, I, she was there. She said, I couldn't see Wilco's feet from my vantage point. Can you confirm my suspicion that he was on casters? <laughs> uh, it looks like, actually, of course, he moves his... I can't demonstrate this on a podcast, but he does the kind of V-shaped thing where you heel to toe. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And he just scoots across uh, invisibly. It's absolutely incredible. And when I was watching them set up, of course, you know, uh, Genuine Freak Show and, and, uh, and the group before, Alice Band, <laughs> everybody's got so much kit nowadays, Alex. You know, you must, you know, give us an insight into this from your, you know, your, uh, you play with the Wootars, who've, you know, done yeah. a couple of these gigs before. Everybody's got pedals and special effects and all this. And suddenly, and I, and, and I, before Wilco came on, the stage was just effectively cleared. And I thought, they haven't got anything here at all. There's just the drum kit, there's a couple of mics, and then there's a huge space. And obviously they just clear that space because he has no pedals or anything. And they just have to have enough room for him to do his mad clockwork mouse 
you know, but that's, rush that's across their the idea stage. of effects, isn't it? That's their, that's their effects equivalent. There's a bloke lurching across the stage and machine gunning the, the audience. Yeah, the, the old way, thing. The old trick, yeah. yeah, yeah. It just makes this rat-a-tat sound. It's absolutely fantastic. Also, curly lead. It's a good thing to say. Curly yes! Lead. As everybody See, stops so with the curly leads. Yeah, that's so. what I was thinking. I was watching them and thinking, did the men's before have curly leads? Did they, Alex? They had resolutely straight leads. Yeah. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. Right. Um, These are the burning issues that we crash <laughs> out on the podcast. I tell you, the other thing that struck me was watching the audience coming in. There ought to be a word for the activity that is blokes of any age, actually, who've been to loads of rock gigs. When they come in to uh, a place like that, they're the first ones in, a bunch of them go near the stage, and what do they do? They look at the equipment. I did they that. Do. You did that. Yeah. <laughs> I was standing with Alex. We were, we were just talking about effects pedals, weren't we? It's yeah, yeah. What I actually said to Alex, how's he making that noise? No, but this was before it? musicians oh, came right, on right. at all. They were just looking at yeah. the kit. They are trying to assess yeah. what kind of experience they were going to get yeah. from the kit. I still do that. If I go to see a group, I think we might have talked about this on podcast before, but if I go to see a group and I don't know who they are, I will go and look at the kit and I try and imagine who will be occupying that slot. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That must be backing singer. That's a flute. Oh, okay, flute and then <laughs> mandolin. Okay, yeah. so you have a mental. So they play the flute and the mandolin. They're going to be dressed like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. It's absolutely fantastic. Love it. It was a brilliant post on the. I think maybe put there by you after the, the concert. There's a picture of, of Kate Mossman myself giving out the raffle prize. Oh yes, and it's just us shot from behind in a blue light. And you just see the silhouette of an enormous pineapple. Yeah, and the caption says something like Kate Mossman and Mark Ellen giving a lucky, uh, a lucky prize winner from from Slam. A pineapple. <laughs> he didn't want it, it but we made him retro take it. man who came up to me actually afterwards with his pineapple, clutching his pineapple, and said, "Thanks so much." I, I, I felt. I watched him walk off down the street, clutching the pineapple with just you know just just over uh, just overfilled with happiness. So that's word in your. It's a nine out. Come home. You come home with, with, with a pineapple and a goldfish. Won. Well, uh, Il Hombre, who well, we came all the way from Scotland, actually bizarrely won a, a, a can of Scotch broth. So well, there's an irony for you. <laughs> I think he left it in the cloakroom. We may don't feel too bad about it. So, so is that word in your ear number four or number three? I can't remember. Number three. Number three. So previously we've had the Divine Comedy and we've had Pugwash. Who are we having next, Alex? You don't know yet, do you? Knows it's a. Okay. Like a book at the moment. Okay, but, um, right. But what we're trying to do is, is have a kind of varied bill of fare, isn't it, with these things? You know, so we don't want them all yeah. the same. Um, the next one will probably have a, a slightly different vibe to this one, just to keep it to keep it fresh. Good, it? absolutely. But uh, it was a big success. And it's all down to you, Alex. So, and uh, as I say, the applause. That was Steve Wright. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing Alex does is put together the CDs. Uh, new issue of work comes out next week. Subscribers will probably be getting their copies this weekend. What are they going to find on the CD? I see you've got Ron Sexsmith. We have. Kicking yes. off with Ron Sexsmith. I have to say, this is, I think, the best Ron Sexsmith uh, record I've Terrific ever heard. And, no, uh, nobody near as mannered as some of his other ones. I think it's rather... Uh, very often in the in past, I found it a bit insipid. Well, it's, it's but this bit, is it's it's punchy bit, it's now. It's cheesecake it? factor. It's very rich, isn't it? It's like listening to Rufus Wainwright. There's yeah. only so much you can take. Whereas this one's produced by Bob Rock. Who's Bob Rock, Fraser? Isn't he kind of metal producer? Isn't he produced Metallica? Well, you're supposed to know this. <laughs> you've got a cla- if Bob Rock was not a metal t-shirt. producer, I'd want to know why. Yeah. No, who else? Doing the new who else is well. on this? We've got Gruff Reese from uh, Superfly Animals. Oh, nice. Um, he's coming with, uh, with a very, very smooth number called uh, <laughs> Vitamin K. Um, we've also got Patrick Campbell Lyons, who is in the original proper Nirvana. The proper Nirvana. Oh, who's also written, he's written a book, hasn't he? That. Written his memoirs, yeah, uh, which is apparently quite good. I haven't read those myself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've into um, We've got Matt Berry, who's a Sanchi in Dark Place. Who's uh, come out with some um, some piano-led folk, which is very very good. Actually, it's Matt Berry who's, uh, who does the specialises in pastiches of old grey whistle test on on That's YouTube, right, isn't yeah. it? That's yeah. right. Which he's uh, threatened to try and get me and Mark involved in. We're still waiting for a call on that. What does he do? He just introduces bands with a, in a kind of earnest way. <laughs> yes, in a darkened <laughs> studio, smoking a cigarette on a, a kind of swivel chair. Oh, that's funny. Uh, anything else you want to mention? He played in that uh, word in you actually the first one. Yes, it, it, yeah, yes, yeah, he's yeah. backing vocals with Pugwash. Yeah, yeah, he's a yeah, mate of there. Yeah, I met him in the pub with uh, with Pugwash. Yeah, really nice chap. Um, we've also got the Wigs, who were kind of fuzzy indie rock from from America. Now, is this the Wigs with an H? It is. Yes, this the is Wigs. the Wigs, mm. as liberal the... Democrats. No, <laughs> as, as we call them over here. 
But that's probably my favourite track, actually. He's got a really, really dirty bass line, and I've got a weakness for those kinds of things. Um, what else have we got? We've got John Watts, who was in a band called Fisher Z. Oh, oh good my God, God they Fisher all come Z! Back. Fisher Z. They had an album called Word Salad Surgery, which is, I think, which sounds very like Brain Salad. Oh, really? I, know, I think okay, so. Yeah. They were on New Zealand United Artists. I remember meeting uh, Fluff Freeman once, and he was wearing a satin tour jacket with the words Fisher Z. <laughs> with the legend Fisher Z. <laughs> I'm sure Fluff had probably had an entire wardrobe made up of, did, uh, yeah. of satin tour jackets. Did you ever have a satin tour jacket? Not that I ever wore, no. No, I might have been given one. <coughs> I've been given a few uh, things, merchandise things, but I've then spent ages picking off the name of the band from the, the Epaulette or whatever. <laughs> Whereas nowadays you'd probably regret that. No, you know, I you can knock out, knock out for a fortune on eBay. Absolutely I was, uh, I was right. uh, flying somewhere recently and the guy had a pair of Bram Tchaikovsky's Battle Axe underpants. <laughs> the guy in a queue ahead of me. <coughs> Checker had a set of Iron Maiden luggage. Good God! I think he, it must have been like he, pre, he was pretty worked for them or something. I can say he didn't, he didn't actually go Iron and buy luggage. Iron Maiden luggage. Yeah. Dear oh dear. Oh, okay, well, uh, that, thanks very much for that, Alex. That's the CD on the cover of the new issue, which, as I say, will be subscri- with subscribers this week. Should be this weekend. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So I was playing this record yesterday. Um, and really enjoying it. Thought it was very good. But all I was thinking was this. If you made a sound as appealing as this, why would you go out under the unappealing name of Joan as Policewoman? <laughs> why would I you, you were going to say that. Why would you give yourself that handicap? You know, only in pop music are people allowed to do anything as kind of contrary as that. I can't believe that her route through what is always a challenging path in pop and rock is going to be in any way eased by the fact that she's called Jonah's policewoman. I mean, even Joan. If she's called herself Joan is quite striking because nobody else called Joan, really, is there? No. You You wouldn't be mistaken for anybody else. But Jonah's policewoman. You know, there must be a bunch of people who... I mean, I know record shops are going, but, you know, in the old days, <laughs> one of the key elements of the kind of commercial growth was, were people prepared to walk into record shops and actually say your name to somebody behind the counter? And if you're called Jonas Policewoman, it's twice as hard than if you're called Led Zeppelin. But there are bands who, who seem to get by with these kind of names that are more like sentences Go on. Than names. I've got three examples of a band have done okay, which is uh, Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, done okay. Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly, done okay. And Does It Defend You? Yeah. Does It Defend <laughs> You, <laughs> comma, yeah. But I've discovered, I just... But, uh, at least the two, in their defence, those are punchy. Okay. Clap Hands, Say Yeah is punchy. Try these off the side. <laughs> oh, go on. These are real band names. Everyone was in the French resistance now. <laughs> was. Everyone was. was. Yeah. Now. Oh. oh, see me. Slap. Could do better. <laughs> the bewitched hands on the top of our heads. Oh, oh you're, you're just being up. silly. Aren't you? The scattered remains of a more glorious past. <laughs> I quite like that. I'm just trying to imagine what they look like. I can see oh. army fatigues. Who are you going to Hair see extensions. <laughs> Somebody army will have a beard. Somebody Someone's got a beard. Yeah. The slowest runner. In the world, um, that's a terrible. That's awful. Oh, that's just not even oh. John Peel would say. You know, two more in session from them later would. He? Oh. Everything you've ever known is a piece of light. That's a real bat. That's a real bat. Is that yeah. does that exist now yeah. or just so only in legend? Here we go. The world is a beautiful place, and I am no longer afraid to die. I love the word phrases. I love his intonation. I'm afraid to die. There's a certain amount of drama at the end. Um, one more. Oh, what more? Destroy, rebuild until God shows. That's well. That's quite good. You see, is yeah. there a theory, Fraser? You're you're a, a man who knows about the internet. There is a theory, isn't there, nowadays, that the best name you can have on the internet is something that won't be confused with anything else. Well, that's true. Like Google, or I think you that know, works with single words. The minute yes. you put. Eight together, unless you're <laughs> lost. Quotes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quotes. Oh, right, yeah. so you're yeah. more likely to find a thread to that group if it's got nine words in the title. No, less. Likely. No, less, oh, likely, less. Because it'll get confused with loads of other things. Oh, I see. Whereas if you just call one word, if oh, you call no. Google or Amazon, you won't be mistaken. But I, I, I have a theory else. that uh, now we're obviously into band names which are formed of long sentences. 
the next obvious step will be to have band names which are formed of a series of sentences. Paragraphs. And the one I've come up with, which I think is good, this would be like a left-field indie band, is, look, there's a biplane. Where? Over there. <laughs> <laughs> Behind you. Yeah. Oh, the thing that confused me, I, I just picked up randomly five records which came in uh, all came in yesterday, I think. They're brand new records, right? And I brought them in here. I'm going to posit a new theory, which is that it used to be very easy when you looked at the record to tell what the name of the group was, yeah. what the name of their album yeah. was, right? Yeah. The, the group was called, you know, the Swinging Blue Jeans, or whatever it was, <laughs> and, the, um, and the album was called, you know, Love is a Battlefield, or something like that, right? Well, look, let me try these out. These five records, okay? In Flight Safety, We Are an Empire, My Dear. So we don't know which is which the title. Which I which actually is... can't tell from that. Which no. is, in fact, I haven't. And they will also be designed by somebody's yeah. Uh, boyfriend. Yeah, so, here's another know. one, right? Okay, this is uh, either a group or an album called Left With Pictures. It's either a group or an album called In Time. Mm. But I don't know which is a group called In Time. This is Dead Rock West with uh, Brighter Morning Star. I think it's called Dead Rock West. Now, this is what I mean. Look, this is classic, right? This I actually know the answer to this. The group is called Within Temptation, but the album is called... The Unforgiving. Oh, the now, normally you'd think The Unforgiving <laughs> with the name... Ah, what? What's happened to rock and roll, Fraser? I don't know. Why should we stand for this? But Within Temptation, is that terrible? Uh, it's, a, it's a disgrace, really. But, I mean, I'm sure it's a very good record. I shall listen to it. But, I mean, none of these are as bad as the worst <laughs> names ever. Of course, which are, as you know, U2 and The Beatles. <laughs> Not a discussion, <laughs> just a statement of fact. And uh, the best names ever, I think... R.E.M., obviously, is the best name of any group ever, I think. We're talking about them again, aren't we? Magical. Brilliant, yeah, sure, fabulous. And then when you find out what it means, even more magical. But I think proper good names were things like Dr. Strangely Strange. Because you knew exactly what you <laughs> were going to get. Never what? a podcast goes what? by without him mentioning what? Dr. Strangely Did, Strange. Well, they, <laughs> thing they deserve like, yeah, to be It's mentioned. like, oh, dear, it's like no, Clive I was sent one this week, and I I had to... I'm a moderately educated, well-read person, and I had to ask Kate, and you, I think, how to pronounce it, because I wasn't sure. Go on. This group's called, well, The, and then their name is R-E-C-U-S-A-N-T-S. <laughs> You've got to write it down again. I'm going to have to write everybody, it down. Everybody, everybody out there, everybody out there in Podland, write this down. R-E-C... R E C U S A N T S. My pen isn't working. Right. Well, I think it's the recusants. But this this is a religious sect who who refused to embrace the Church of England in the think 17th century. I mean, I had I had heard of I'd actually heard of the the word before, but I still didn't know. How to pronounce it. So that's a tradition make... of being called the levellers or the decemberists, which you're, you're a kind of... Uh, well, or the so. new model army. Or but why would groups, you pick something? Politics. You know, why would you pick something that's so difficult for people? You know, because if people, if people don't know how to say it, they'll avoid saying yeah, it. That's true. It's so much easier to be called Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly. Yeah, Get Cape, really. Wear Cape, Fly. Really. Wear Cape, fly. I'll, I'll forgive. I'll forgive. Yeah. So uh, we'll finish with a few more questions from The Massive, which come in on Twitter. Some very good ones. Ooh, right. from HP Wonderful. Which modern band... Is suited to a Roger Dean cover. That's a good one. Good God. What, oh. In terms of their name? His no, Stolen Messenger? No. A, I think they're Dutch, Bank of the Flower Kings, who sound exactly like Yes, so they'll be on Oh, there. OK, right. I can imagine a Decemberist record packaged in a Roger Dean No, because the Decemberists are set in the past, though, aren't they? And Roger Dean's set in the future. Oh, OK. Well, right, Decemberists well. are all set in the 18th century. Isn't From it? Lenny Law, power pop is the great lost musical genre. True. Good Lord. Apart from its practitioners mainly being bloody ugly, why should this be? Now, I have to take issue with Lenny on this. Debbie Harry? Like, what fair, is, what's fair, 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 fair. I don't think they're all... You what know. is pop? Is that the Jags? What is that? What, what well, is I like? suppose power pop... Power Pop so, dates back to about 1978, doesn't it? When uh, it was the knack and uh, and you know the nerves and uh, and so forth and the records. It was generally groups who played jangly guitars, yeah. uh, had uh, collars with a, with a kind of tightly studded through there and, uh, and a tie. Very often wore the sleeves of their Rubettes, uh, of their no. jack. No, no, pub with thin ties, thin ties, thin ties, jags. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Rubettes, you see, could never possibly qualify for power pop for one important reason, which is I think what Lenny's referring to. They had hits, oh, whereas oh, power oh. pop groups don't have hits. 
You know, there's records come out all the time. You know, it sounds a little bit like Tom Petty, sounds a bit like the birds, got 12-string guitar on it, you know, glistening harmonies, <laughs> all the usual cliches. Simon Boswell and Top Taylor's advertising. And then, then like nobody buys them. Nobody buys their records, no, do they? No. They just, uh, so we haven't got a reason, we haven't got a theory as to why. Okay. You're absolutely but right. you're absolutely right, yeah. Lenny. Okay. Whole Hog throws in this, and I think this is the... He's been throwing a number of uh, dilemmas it's at Hull us. Hog who threw in... In fact, he sent me an email this morning saying he was about to throw something in. I think he's going to throw, a, ma- so I think he's going to throw a major bomb in the I podcast here. I throw Cavalier right? about his Ivor Cutler versus uh, Viv Stanch. This, this, <laughs> this one could result time, in... Time, deliberate time wasting. This one could result in a fist fight. You know, we're going to become a big graphical symbol with a boot coming out of it and a cloud and so forth. So... <laughs> He wants to like know. Handicap getting he wants to know. <laughs> Yarrow, ouch. He wants to know. Incredible string band. Oh, that's. Or. <laughs> that's low. Or Fairport Convention. Incredible string band. Or Fairport Convention. But you can't compare them. Oh, it's not a oh, fair question. Oh, he's wriggling. That's what, as they would say in political debates, illegal question. Illegal. <laughs> no, you can't compare them. They're, because they are both absolutely kings of their own particular castles, aren't they? Okay. They're not in the same area at all. See, one is Mystic Celtic Folk, man, and the other's the Fairport Convention, isn't it? You know, just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the end of that that's one. That's the end of it to all the give questions. Another, yes, give me the other is Fairport Convention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's very good. We've wriggled out of that one. Yeah. Uh, Russell, one, two, three, four. Will cassettes ever make a comeback like records? No. They won't, will they? No. Not possible. They have no... There's nothing cherishable about a cassette. If no they were going to come back, why would you still see them dangling from brambles <laughs> alongside the A303? <laughs> just just tattered and... Very wind. good, very good. Baskerville, old F. Which albums do you think sounded best through headphones? Back in the day, I see, um, I see him he's referring to. And any modern albums that really stand out? Because I think I've talked in the past on this podcast about I used to have a copy of Stoned Henge by 10 years after. Oh, a brilliant record. Which was one of the first stereo records. No, not a brilliant record. Oh, I loved them. Bloody wretched record. No, a classic anyway, from, the, from the Henge. From, no, the, from the after. From the, the after, after, sorry. <laughs> uh, which had, in order to demonstrate the stereo, uh, the drummer playing three blind mice on the drums. So, you know, panning straight across. You know, It also had one track which had a train going from one side to the other. So those are the glory days of headphones, as far as I'm concerned. So it could be used to, as a kind of demonstration Yeah, demonstration record. record. The other one that I remember, uh, it on headphones was Michael Nesmith's pretty much your standard ranch stash. Oh, yeah. Second side of which, well, uh, which is a trilogy, which fantastic cover, wonderful, yeah. wonderful he cover. He was winking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there any modern albums that stand out for headphones? I've never been a headphone listener, but go back to what you said earlier. I like an album of trains, I think, to listen to on headphones. Oh, there, there are many of those. Yeah. There's a, the, the roaring trade done in, yeah. in train sounds, probably probably all gone on the well, internet. Well, 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 for recreational reasons. You no, train spots, is to... stereo going from side to side. Yeah, 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 yeah. Supposed to be like fun. So, do you ever listen to anything on a headphones Mark, at home? Do you ever go? Oh, Not really. No, we've got the, the we've got the, the old vinyl system up. Oh, I've got my I've got my uh, which again is, last so week. So I just uh, constantly going through. I'm really getting a lot of fun out of it actually. Going through and getting my old. Um you know, records out the roof and dusting them down, and it's marvelous. I played a That's load a last weekend, and I, I I came to one conclusion. There goes rhyming Simon by Paul Simon is an absolute bloody masterpiece. And is it as good as Highwayman by uh, Jimmy <laughs> Webb or, or This Charming Man? But this is where we came. I think Kodachrome <laughs> is a great, great song. Notice the cyclical nature of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. But they're going to fade out and with finally, the sound of, you know, And finally, last question. Uh, Tim Turner Books. Don't know if you call that, Tim. He says, <laughs> I just finished Juliet Naked. Is that Nick Hornby book? I think it is. Yes, I think so. Yes. Uh, he says... Who is the most believable rock star or band in fiction? And it's interesting that you should say this, uh, Tim, because in the, oh, new, issue the new issue of God, Word, yes, which comes out perfect. next week, uh, unless you're wise enough to subscribe, in which case you'll get it probably weekend, get a copy probably. this weekend, uh, the best and worst in the issue is actually worst fictional musicians in all uh, entertainment and best fictional musicians. And um, the, thing, the, the one that I'm personally most... Um, convinced by recently, Tim, is I read Jonathan Franzen's uh, novel Freedom, uh, and he's got a character in there called Richard Katz, who's really interesting character, in that he's, um, he starts off a failure, and then he becomes a cult success. You know, so he, he becomes a kind of Nick Cave figure, or something like that, in middle age. 
uh, and, and the, a lot of the plot of the book revolves around how he attempts to uh, exploit this this celebrity. But I really like that creation of that character because it's not an obvious rock star character. Yeah, because rock star characters are usually either immense superstars, which you can never quite be convinced about because you think wouldn't have heard of them. <laughs> Or they're complete failures. Yeah. Whereas this one is in the middle. You know, it's really, really well drawn. And final question, Scarlet Lobster, and this is a bit of a difficult one to answer off the top of your head, has anybody except Clifford T. Ward ever used the word non-pareil in a song? Did he? Cliff- yes, he did. did. He? he did. We were looking at the words this week. Extraordinary, very sophisticated wordplay all the way through that. Because he was an English teacher, wasn't he? I, I don't even know what the word means. Uh, well, it means without equal, okay. without I parallel. You would say you'd never heard of Clifford T. Wall, <laughs> in which <laughs> case we really would have a problem. <laughs> that would be terrible. Yeah. The, the great pioneer of the tank top in pop. He was. Clifford T. Ward. Sadly, no longer with us. No longer with us, and again, yards of non-centre-parted, uh, unconditioned hair. Never a major poster boy, was he, Clifford? I don't think. Ooh, I think Although, so. seemed think to have a bit of traction with... With girls who lived in bedsits. I remember going to see my sister once when she lived in a bedsit, and she had a Clifford T. Ward record, and she also had um, Al Stewart, several records by Al Stewart. Love Chronicles. T for the Tiller Man. Cat Stevens. Oh, it's been a long day. <laughs> Cat Stevens, for Christ's sake. You're right. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. <laughs> <laughs>